Welcome to Poduck Podcast, a fan-created podcast where we discuss the new BBC adaptation. Before we get started, you should probably meet your host. I'm Michelle. I live in the States. You can find me on Tumblr at Poldark Muses, and I tweet at Musings. Hi, Delanda here. I live in France. I blog on Tumblr at British Liso and tweet at Delanda Dia. And my name is Rita. I live in England. I Tumblr at Princess of Poldark, and I tweet at Rita Bites. Uh, so thanks again for joining us. Uh, this week, we will be recapping and discussing Episode 5 of Series 4, which aired this past Sunday on BBC One, for those of you who have not caught up, and are spoiler-averse, this is your weekly warning. Ooga, ooga! You will need to have seen the episode to understand what the hell we're talking about. So, if you have, we shall begin with the episode recap. Dearest Ross... You are sorely missed by your children, your wife, your dog, and by all at home for whom you speak. Oh god, another letter-writing montage? Aren't we over this yet, Debbie? While Ross is in Westminster, giving the exact speech about the plight of the poor, Demelza, meanwhile, is back in Cornwall dealing with a food shortage when fever hits Seoul, killing off dozens. Demelza, now just here for exposition, it seems, asks the question of the episode. Yet how can it be that a man has work yet still can't afford to feed his family? Ross votes to pass a law that would set a fixed price for grain. The House rejects it and he grows frustrated with Parliament. George, however, sees things differently. Of course he does! (laughs) Of course. Of course he does. If his business doesn't make a profit, then he won't be able to provide employment and subsequently feed the poor. It's not a point completely without merit, but he says it in such an insufferably smug manner that you can't help but want to punch him. Ross runs into Caroline near the Serpentine, and she invites him to a party at her London home. When he arrives, he finds the place packed with her new friends and some familiar faces in Monk Adderley, Elizabeth, and George. This soon becomes a problem when Monk Adderley remarks that Elizabeth seems to be much cooler with Ross than when he last saw them together at George's party a couple episodes ago. Hashtag sexily pot stirring. (laughs) This is news to George, who freaks out. But fear not, for Elizabeth, the queen of gaslighting, is like, remember, I told you all about it. Uh, no, you didn't, Lizzie. He would totally remember his true love crashing his party like that. But when he mentions that she interrupts with part two of the, quote, Lizzie method, end quote, emotional manipulation, she subtly implies that if he starts being suspicious about her suspicious behavior, there will be problems. Remember when Marwena threatened to kill her son? The show wants to really reinforce that she would never, ever do that. She tells Dwight so. She simply uses it as a weapon against Ozzy. Unfortunately for her, when her son is snatched away from her by his new governess, she is left defenseless, and Ozzy uses it as an opportunity to rape her again. Elsewhere, Drake has a chat with Demelza, where they talk about how Ross grew to love her in their marriage. Drake then uses this as inspiration to propose to Rosina. 
I say propose, it's really more of a, well, I like someone else, but you'll do conversation. And Rosina accepts. Poor girl. Meanwhile, Demelzer and Dwight are doing their own work to support the poor. They're collecting up all the fresh fruit and veg they can get to distribute when scurvy hits again. They talk about how much they've leaned on each other over the past few months. Do you not sometimes wonder? If they'd met each other before they met us. They'd be better matched. (laughs) Would we? They probably would be better matched, but in the words of the great Selena Gomez, I say that with great irony, the heart wants what it wants. So Sam bursts in with the news about Drake proposing to Rosina, and no one seems more excited than him. Uh, The wedding planning committee of Drake, Rosina, Sam, and Demelza go to meet with Rosina's father, who has a bit of a temper about almost everything they discuss. He seems put out by the match, but the wedding is a go. They will be married Easter weekend. Meanwhile, back in London, Ross again runs into Caroline, who has Monk Adderley attached to her hip. He snarks at him before being interrupted by a loud crash and two dumb posh boys beating up on Jeffrey Charles. <laughs> Hashtag classic Poldark. Ross beats the crap out of one of them and tells the other that he has the honor, air quotes, of knowing both their fathers. Such a dad move. And while he tries to resolve the situation, Jeffrey Charles pukes everywhere. It's Thursday night, so Arthur kisses Rowella goodbye and trots over to see his family. When he arrives, Dwight informs him that they are sick and are unable to host him that evening. When he arrives back home, he finds the door locked. Going around the back of the house, he peeks through the window and see Rowella and Whitworth going at it. (sighs) Poor guy, that is not a pleasant sight. (sighs) Ross drags Jeffrey Charles home and stuffs him into bed. The next day, Elizabeth arrives in Ross's rooms, which is a little inappropriate, don't we think? And worries over Jeffrey Charles's gambling, that he might be like his father. Ross insists that he's more like Francis, in the good ways. R.I.P. Francis! R.I.P. R.I.P. They agree to never tell George of their meeting, so you know he's going to find out. For sure. In Seoul, another three children die. It's a freaking child epidemic on this show. Demelza writes to Ross about how the loss reminded her of Julia, and Ross, reading it in London, speaks to Caroline about Julia. I'll tell you how she died in my arms. How I watched her take her last breath. I could not conceive how the life could go out of her when the day before I danced her on my knee. We are taught to be strong, to betray no weakness, but that night I learned to be strong is weakness. Pain should not be avoided. must fall. I mean, a round of applause. Amazing, amazing work there, Aiden. Absolutely. Ross remembers that poor houses are a thing. FYI, they were called workhouses and were a fairly recent invention, actually. They were where people unable to support themselves were housed and given employment. You can read any Charles Dickens novels to find out how badly that sucked. 
So anyway, Ross goes to visit these workhouses and finds out that people are being sent there despite having work because they are not being paid enough to live on. Tell me about it. He then concocts a scheme to bridge the gap between living costs and low wages with what essentially amounts to the modern day working tax credit. Ozzy calls it off with Rowella, after fucking her of course, uh, telling her that he can now rape Marwenna again. He no longer has any need for her. On his ride home, he is attacked by a masked Arthur who whacks him with a gold candlestick Rowella bought with Ozzy's money. He falls off his horse, gets his leg caught in a stirrup, and is dragged into the woods. We hope it was a horrible and painful death, dude. Arthur returns home holding the candlestick and covered with blood. It's like something out of Clue. Arthur with a candlestick in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, the night before his wedding day, Demelza remarks that Drake is smiling again as they prepare for the big day and making up his house into more of a home. And it really does look nice. The next morning, Ozzy's body is found in the woods. His mother insists it was not an accident and that he was murdered. Dwight, however, says all his injuries are consistent with a fall from a horse. How convenient. It's the day of the wedding and Drake is running about looking happily and dressing himself up like a Disney prince ready for a ball. (laughs) (laughs) We cut to Rosina looking gorgeous in her wedding dress with her bridesmaids. Flowers, every smile shining. It is way too good to last, and it doesn't, because Demelza receives a letter informing her of Ozzy's death. Feeling like she cannot keep that information from him, she tells Drake, who subsequently flips out, asking her why she didn't just let him marry Rosina. Um, dude, no one's stopping you from doing that now. You still could, but of course he doesn't do the sensible thing. He goes and calls the whole thing off with Rosina, whilst she is in her wedding dress. Idiot. Boo. Yeah. Idiot. Anyway, it's all gone a bit much for Demelza, who for some reason feels responsible for the mess that Drake chose to get himself into. Hashtag not Demelza's fault. Drake's gone. And Rosina? Rosina's brave. Jack is raging, as is half the village. Don't wonder. The jilted girl on her wedding day. Dwight, what shall I do? I'm not weary of keeping the peace and... I just wish the body would take care of me. Dwight and Demelza hug it out and miss their respective partners. Speaking of, Caroline and Ross meet again in London. Ross is planning to head back to Cornwall and ask Caroline to join him. But she feels like she's not quite ready. I did not weep. Could not. Even when Sarah grew cold in my arms. I thought if I could only keep hold of her, I could will her back to life. When Dwight finally prized her from me, the agony was so overwhelming. I had to remove myself from even the possibility of ever feeling that again. By coming to London? You know there's nowhere like London for numbing the senses. Is that what you desire? Still? For now. But I have begun to weep, Ross. And I will do so again. Oh, come back to us, Caroline. Oh, God. It, she was so freaking good this week. Ozzy's six feet under now. 
And it's time for the wake. Naturally, his mother continues to channel her in a Cruella de Vil and takes it out on Moena, insisting on taking John Conan away from her, causing Moena to do a very 18th century swoon. Smelling salt stat! Back in Saul, Rosina's father is kicking off at Demelza as if it's her fault her brother is an idiot and demanding his revenge. And where is Drake? Why? Out looking at the ocean and pining for Morwenna. Of course. Meanwhile, back at the wake, Morwenna is upright and listening to George and Elizabeth give their very sincere condolences. She tells George to stuff it. I feel nothing but relief. I loathed him with every bone in my body. He sought to have me committed. He took away my son. He violated me. Again. And again. And again. Sound the klaxon because as beautifully acted as this scene is, it's absolute nonsense that anyone, even Marwenna, would consider this maritable rape. Maritable okay. rape. That's <laughs> like a new kind of rape. I know. Marital rape. In the 18th century, depressingly, the concept of marital rights would only be refuted in the 1990s, but the conversation is enough to make Elizabeth finally defend her cousin against George's petty revenge schemes, and she makes him promise not to harm Drake. And to his credit, he doesn't. Directly, that is. Indirectly? That's totally awesome. Uh, you can't blame George for Tom Harry's brother being a dickhead. That seems to be genetic. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Rosina's dad and Tom Harry's brother have other plans, and those plans would be arson. They burn down the blacksmith's yard that Ross paid for, and it ex- explodes like something E. Heath Ledger rigged with explosives in the dark night. <laughs> While everything he owns is burning down, Drake is visiting Rowena. He shows up at her door, expecting everything to be okay between them, but she just tells him to get the F out, and Mrs. Whitworth threatens to horse-whip him, so he flees. If I knew it was that simple to keep him away from her, I would have threatened him last season. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Drake returns home, sees everything burned down, and weeps. Following Drake's Dawson's Creek moment, Ross is back from London. Ross is back from London, and it's a whistle-stop visit. First things first, time to shag his wife. Yes! (laughs) Yes! The next morning, they wake up and run their fingers through each other's hands, and they share an adorable scene. I wish the world would go away. Okay, enough of that. Back to politics. Uh, <laughs> Ross has assembled the local gentry and pitches them this idea for a, quote, means-tested sliding scale of wage supplements in order to mitigate the current effect of the current food crisis. Paid by the landowners of the parish, of course. Now, George points out that it's only fair if all the landowners are involved and Lord Falmouth just isn't even there. Cue a very sassy Lord Falmouth intro. Dude is always about the entrance. I've noticed that. (laughs) And he comes in right as they prepare to vote. Now Lord Falmouth votes in favour of Ross's scheme. (laughs) The look on George's face was priceless. 
and in exchange, Ross has to vote in favour of Falmouth's bill to create a road passing through St. Day, destroying half a village in the process, on the condition that the villages are rehoused. So, win-win. This is the way you play the game, Ross. Ross gets on his horse, says goodbye to Demelza, but not the children. I mean, how rude. And gallops back to London in five seconds to deliver a speech about his scheme and how it should be adopted nationally. Across the room, Prime Minister William Pitt gets a political boner for the member. (laughs) 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 Uh, the, The member from Truro and asks to have Ross call on him. And the episode ends. All right. So, discussion. Did you like this episode? Uh, was yeah. it just was it just me, or did it feel like this episode went on forever? True. And ever? Yeah. Oh, my God, it was crazy. Uh, but you know, it was fine. I I could nitpick the hell out of it, you know, because Michelle. But honestly, I've run out of energy for it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can't say I'm ever going to enjoy an episode with so much Drake. So much Drake. Oh my god. But it was inoffensive enough and it moved the plot up, which was necessary in the middle of the season. I just love how Rita is basically Drake's biggest fan. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Someone please get me a Drake t-shirt and I will wear it all the time. Oh my god. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Um, yes, I didn't like this episode as much as the previous ones, uh, but I felt like uh, a lot of what happened uh, during it was necessary for the plot to take a new turn, so... Delanda! <laughs> oh! Girl. You caught the entire Drake Moana thing! Yes, yes! I know! Yes. I'm gonna applaud myself. <laughs> yes! Well done! Well done. <laughs> I mean... I'm so not gonna miss Osborne, but damn, that death was brutal, but surely deserved. Um, <laughs> but now I'm just gonna be dreading all the more awake slash drawena angst that we're gonna get, which I think will be definitely a lot, so I'm not looking forward yes. to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, grab some popcorn, because we're gonna be here for a while. <laughs> I'm just oh gonna God. take a nap in the corner. Yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> So, do you think Drake, uh, Drake leaving Rosina at the altar is okay because it was, quote, true love? Whoa. True love. True love. <laughs> Hashtag best, best movie on earth. Uh, rhetorical question, of course, but honest to God, it's an impossible situation. If he were to marry her and then regret the decision that he makes, only to take it out on her, either by you know, uh, frustration, neglect, um, you know, I don't think he would, you know, find that Tom Karn gene and start, um, abusing her, but, you know, he could wind up just being, um, miserable throughout their marriage or to jilt her an hour before the wedding. I mean, I mean, there is a, a third option where he, Stays married to her, and it's okay. And eventually, he just loves her. Like that was still an option. Very true. Personally, I'd rather he just lived with the longing or regret in his heart and not hurt another person unnecessarily in this <laughs> sick and endless teen angst fest. But that's just me. 
don't don't go changing rita just don't ever go changing i don't think i can oh oh no that is so so hard to tell uh because i'm trying to put myself into rosina's shoes i'm sure that drake would have grown to love her and uh maybe not forget about marwana but you know just continue with his life and I believe in the idea that there is that one person that you will always love and cherish and that will always have this special place in your heart. Um, but I also believe that you should, some, at some point in your life, you should be selfish and uh, give other people a chance. Um, so no, it was not okay for Drake to leave her, especially after Rosina's father had such a hard time granting her hand. So, But I guess he would have found out eventually and that would have led to some major angst um, that Rosina did not ask for, and that girl is innocent, so... And uh, what did that idiot think? That Osborne dead, barely buried, his body still pretty warm, that Morwenna would just ride off into the sunset with him? Like, Oh come my on. god. <laughs> come on. I know. I know. I, I still remember reading that part, uh, hashtag in the books, and uh, just shaking my head, going... Are you out of your effing mind? He's bonkers. In in the yeah. books, it's actually worse because he just walks into her house without even knocking. He yeah. just shows <laughs> up like, hey, I'm in your living room. What <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> oh, my oh, God. God. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, God. Okay. Uh, Storylines. Well, while we're at it, let's talk about Drake and Rosina. Ugh. <laughs> uh. I am beyond annoyed by the fact that Demel's and Sam had no idea where the idiot would go. <laughs> you know, they're, they're walking around asking everybody, have you seen him? Do you know? Was he here? Was he? We don't know where he is. Oh, my God. Where is he? Where is he? It's like, come on. <laughs> to be fair, the answer to this question wasn't Rosina's place. He was actually at the beach. I, I, which is a place that Demelza goes all the freaking time. I know so, it's like it's like right next uh, to the village. Where right. are you looking for him? Obviously yeah, not yeah. the one Obviously, place. People... The... He's always at the beach. Yeah, the one place that you go, like it seems like every other minute, and you don't go there. Come on. Now. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Anyway, this was a whole bunch of hashtag Podoc time playing some tricks on us. <laughs> it was actually a few days between when Ozzy's killed and when Drake actually shows up at her house after the funeral. Obviously, he would go to Morwenna, but did anyone figure it would take him like 48 hours to get there? Which was previously about a 10 minute walk on the show. <laughs> Oh, okay. Way to kind of harsh my ire, woman. Uh, anyhow, even if time worked normally on this show, after a few days, don't you think Demelza and Sam would have figured it out? They yeah. have a few brain cells between them. Yeah. But anyway, um, props to Harry Richardson. I felt sorry for Drake when he did that intense crying at the end because <laughs> Mormona said she would not have him. <laughs> I'm still laughing about that scene. I'm oh sorry. God. It really didn't work. Oh, girl, give the poor child a break. <laughs> I don't think that's going to really... happen anytime soon. I'm yes. sorry, Harry. 
<laughs> but he really, he really did just like completely have a meltdown. There's like, this won't have me. <laughs> That's why I'm comparing it to Dawson's face. Yeah. Ah. Oh my it gosh. Like his face just fell apart. Oh my gosh, you're right. Holy crap. Okay. All right. So, as far as Merwenna is concerned, uh, tour de force acting by Elise Chappell this week. I mean, hell, each week, uh, for fuck's sake. Uh, she is really doing a magnificent job with this part. Uh, and it's a pleasure to watch her. Um, and I mean, when she drops the 411 onto George and Elizabeth, her barely concealed rage and her completely revealed contempt for George and Elizabeth, perhaps, was magnificent to watch. Um, and that bracelet, which wouldn't it have disintegrated years before? I did really think it was a great performance from Elise. But like we mentioned in the recap, though, her entire encounter with Elizabeth and George was completely bonkers and didn't feel like it was in character or remotely probable to the time the show is set. It really took me out of the scene, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Burst in the damn bubble again. All right, that's fine. Just keep being what I'm my, here for. Keep being <laughs> my reality check. Yeah, basically, congratulations to Elise Chapel for this wonderful performance. I just hope that Ozzy has not left another mark by getting her pregnant again because that's passing out. Like, I'm a little worried. Every time somebody passes out, you'd be worried. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about the whole marital rights thing. Now, today we look at marital rights as a bit of a joke. But in this period of time where women were essentially bought and sold to their husbands, Morwenna would no doubt have thought the violations were horrible. But I don't think she would have the vocabulary to think of it as rape, let alone to tell another person about it. And of all people, George and Elizabeth. Bonkers. I know it's like, for a modern audience, but it's super incongruous in a period drama like this. And by the way, just to put this in perspective, marital rape wasn't decriminalised until 1991 in the UK. So that's how recent this change in attitude actually is. Yeah, uh, you know, the marital rape criminalization uh, was not complete in all 50 states until 1993. And in that said, marital rape is only treated the same as non-marital rape in 17 out of the 50 states. Uh, my own lovely state of Washington still had an exemption on third-degree rape, which is otherwise known as indecent liberties, uh, that required the victim to be not married to the perpetrator in order for that person to be charged with it. Uh, that has been resolved. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but I think this is one of the reasons, um, I think, uh, that we have as many arguments as we do within the fandom about this particular topic, about marital rape, uh, you know, there's a generation of fans for whom the mere concept of marital rape does not compute. Um, it does not exist where, whereas I remember it really well. And I remember the kind of the, the fight and struggle to uh, decriminalize it. And for those of you interested, um, a campaign against marital rape was launched in France in uh, 2011. 
And, what? Uh huh. Yes. It it was not actually. Uh, yeah, I didn't actually see it on TV. Like I just did some research and I was like, okay, I never saw that on my TV. But uh, anyway. <clears throat> and uh, although marital rape is largely considered a taboo issue in uh, in French society, um, we have a lovely lady, uh, Danielle Lansade, uh, who works for the organization uh, Le Planning Familial, which is a uh, family planning, uh, who said that it is indeed a common form of domestic abuse, and uh, it's still very rare for women who to file a complaint like this uh, because they still feel ashamed. But um, the ruling of a three-year sentence for a man who not only, like, he completely uh, beat the crap out of his wife, but he also forced her into sexual relations afterwards in 2013. Um, he was condemned to three-year three year sentence, so that's one of the few victories to be uh, mentioned. Catholicism really fucked up Europe, I think. <laughs> and I could say that I was Catholic, okay? <laughs> Well, Speaking of the church, Ozzy's death. Let's get to it. His whole relationship with Rowella as well. Ugh. Well, the death, it was the squeal heard around the world. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, for all of you out there who have wondered whether or not Ozzy could just die already, thank you, Delonda, uh, then pop the champagne because that vile creature is dead. Um, and before he died, I think we saw him at his absolute worst. Uh, just truly despicable. You know, to be sitting there, you know, saying, you know, I can't believe that you don't find any pleasure in our Congress. It's like, you pig! I, it made me start to think about that, that thick idea about the first wife again. Wives so um, gasso see this! Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, more than I thought they would, truth be told, uh, but not after the aftermath. Uh, Arthur goes off on Rowella in the books and beats her so severely she's unable to attend Ozzy's funeral due to her in injuries, and it included a lost tooth. Um, so what do you folks think about the, the change that was made? to make him the injured party. Not a fan. Uh, Rowella and Arthur were actually really sweet in their interactions before he killed Ozzy. I think it would have been quite interesting to have this huge turn in his character and also would have made Rowella more than just a cookie-cutter villain. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, girls, I would have much rather preferred uh, seeing Arthur respond to his wife's betrayal and uh, the fact that we didn't see him uh, beat her, uh, either it was too much for BBC One, or it was just a way to have Rowella keep the leadership sort of in their marriage, um, I suppose. I don't know, but yeah. uh, that was a little disturbing, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, one thing about Ozzy's departure, though. Uh, remember how you know he visited Nat Pierce before he visited Rowella and then got on the horse and rode into a tree. That last comment that he made to Nat Pierce um, before he left, I really adored how it was written in the book. Hashtag in the book again. Um, and this smile and referring to Nat Pierce's smile, uh, no doubt was his way of expressing his appreciation 
for the attention Ozzy had paid him all through this terrible year. It meant, goodbye, my boy, goodbye. But registering itself on that face, it seemed to have a faintly cynical, almost sinister leer about it, as if Nat Pierce, at the threshold of death, whence comes all knowledge or no knowledge, had seen through the subterfuge of Ozzy's attentions and knew all about his trysts in the cottage up the hill. I just loved that. <laughs> it was kind of like, yes, I am on the cusp of death and I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. Uh, finally, uh, the only thing that will make me mourn this asshole's passing is that it means we've come to the end of Christian Brassington's per appearance on Poldark. Unless they do some haunting and ghost stuff, which I simply must put my foot down about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it has been such a pleasure seeing this actor's portrayal of this character uh, and I am IMDBing the crap out of him, which sounds awful, but you know what I mean. So I can search out more goodness to explore. So Christian Brassington, we bid you adieu. And thank you, whoever knew Christian Brassington was the guy for this iconic role. Thank you. Yes. A round yes. of applause for everybody. Else, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well done. Well done. Okay, Ross and Caroline took up a huge chunk of this episode. What did yes. you think about their scenes? Yes. And um, I find I may be asked to turn in my Romelza card, but uh, I'm really enjoying the dynamic we're seeing between the two of them. Uh, in each of the scenes where we have seen them running into each other or spending moments talking during parties, we see how easily they move and converse with one another. Uh, and the scene between them where Ross remembers Julia will be one of my favorites from the entire series. I just love seeing uh, Ross and uh, Caroline portray this uh, ambiguous attraction slash protective relationship. Uh, and I know it takes a good actor to have good chemistry with pretty much anyone, even a tree. Um, but... There's something just that is just so endearing about the one that Gabrielle and Aiden have. It's like you're watching a big brother with his little sister. It's just so cute. Okay, Demelza and Dwight. I love Demelza and Dwight's friendship. I was kind of hoping to see a little more of this dynamic last year, but I'm glad we get to see it now because I think they really need each other in their time of loneliness. That hug, I was like, yes, comfort each other. You're both <laughs> so sad. Yeah, same as Caroline and Ross. Amazing chemistry and almost, almost makes you wish that their respective partners could stay away in London a little, little bit longer. Ooh! Getting into some hanky-panky in Cornwall. Now, um, let's move into my awful politics rants. I'm sorry, I apologize in advance, but it needs to be talked about. <laughs> Um, I'm finding the show's handling of this storyline a little underwhelming, because I know it's not exactly West Wing, but a little more insight into the political maneuverings and insight into what was being debated at the time would have been fantastic. Having Ross make up policy because of someone cleaning up puke is lowbrow to the extreme. <laughs> also, he's, he's, he's made the same speech about poverty over and over again we get it i mean you can see the other members like rolling their eyes kind of like oh here it goes again 
<laughs> Does he have any other ideas? <sighs> By the way, if you're a bit of a nerd like me, the House of Parliament have a website with a lot more information about it. If you're interested in finding out more about William Pitt's government, go to the 1790-1820 section. It's super good. And by the way, Ross advocating for enforcing a fixed price for grain was interesting because corn laws were later passed in the early 19th century and they had devastating consequences. If you've been watching Victoria Season 2, you'll have seen how they compounded on the Irish potato famine and caused many people to starve. And honestly... I saw a lot of problems with the idea for a fixed price for grain. The grain merchants would have had to undercut costs somehow to make profit, and if the cost of seed remains consistent, the only cost-cutting avenue would be in production. It no doubt would have led to more exploitation of workers and their wages being slashed. I know the scheme he conducted last season to sell grain to the village at a low price worked, but... That was at a micro level. On a national scale, it would be a pretty devastating for farmers. Anyway, that's been this week's Political Corner. Come back next week, where we will be seeing William Pitt totally out of character. He doesn't even <laughs> look like the dude. I'm angry already. Oh, God. I less than three read his Political Corner. I vote it remains a recurring theme on the show. <laughs> Agree. I'm shuffling papers. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got Ross and Elizabeth. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Well, we've got the new and improved Ross and Elizabeth. Uh, I grow concern about this trope being overly utilized this season. Um, you know the the whole okay. We've settled our differences. Let's be pals again, uh, kind of thing. Because uh, I think there are reasons that this will become an issue <laughs> that become clear as we press on. Hashtag no spoilers for Delonda. Thank you. You're welcome. Debbie's going to keep sticking Ross and Elizabeth together, trying to create tension with Elizabeth and George, and slowly driving me crazy. The scene between Ross, Elizabeth, and Valentine that we bitched about last week <laughs> appears to be happening in next week's episode, and no matter how innocent it might actually end up being, there is no fathomable reason for them to continue to have a relationship given their past. It's infuriating. Yes. I mean, in all honesty, and I don't think this is really a spoiler, but after that church encounter... Ross and Elizabeth aren't alone in the same room again. I'm so bothered by this. I mean, <clears throat> clearly, we know that Valentine is Ross's son, and they're being super subtle at showing it by having a mini Aiden Turner playing him. And, <laughs> <laughs> and my question is, hadn't Ross and Elizabeth committed this crime against the universe, would they have kept in touch? Or is this just a way... For Elizabeth to have Ross stay in her life and as a consequence in their sons. They don't keep in contact in the books at all, so it didn't even really work. Nope. Who knows? Nope. 
But nope, because nope, this nope, is nope, BBC nope. One pure drama, they must. <laughs> pure drama. <laughs> so let's move on to a pleasanter subject. What was everybody's favourite scenes? Um, I really loved that Ramelza scene in bed together, oh. where they're intertwining their hands in the morning light. Oh. oh, it was beautiful. Was beautiful. It had amazing cinematography. The lighting on this show, we don't talk about it often enough, but it's pretty spectacular. That scene really looked like a bright winter's morning, and it's filmed in a freaking studio in Bristol. Like, amazing work. Yeah, the, the, the folks at Mammoth, the the production team, everybody, they are just being stunning with the uh, the hard work that they're doing on set, making it look like, you know, we are actually out there in Cornwall. So, hurrah. Um, that scene was mine as well. Uh, favorite, favorite scene. Uh, and it was... <laughs> It was so nice to have a lovely romantic moment between the two of them without it, you know, being fraught with the what ifs and all of that that, you know, they are apparently still going through. Uh, it, just a lovely opportunity for the two of them to reconnect and have a, a really lovely uh, evening with one another. I just loved it. Um if I had to pick a second, uh, it would be one that I briefly mentioned earlier, uh, Ross, Caroline, and his remembrances of Julia. Uh, it was really great to see the depth of his loss uh, is real, which I've held to be true since it happened. And, you know, we've never seen it directly spoken about in the previous series. You know, I've always been of the opinion that the reason why Ross uh, has, you know, went and did this whole um, beach thing in series one was a direct result of, you know, the, the, the waves of grief he was experiencing um, and that in series two, he's avoiding that issue as well, which is what gets him started in thinking about an idealized world with uh, Elizabeth. So it's it's really great to see him confront this and be open about it. Um, and as for Caroline, she, she doesn't say a word for a considerable amount of time while he's speaking, but you can see the fear in her eyes um, that if she allows herself to cry, she will completely shatter apart. Uh, it was just brilliant. Uh, well done, Aiden and Gabriella. That was that was really fantastic acting. Yeah, same as you, Michelle. Uh, without a doubt, uh, my favorite scene was the one with Ross encouraging uh, Caroline to get rid of that armor. Uh, Gabriella Wild has a gift, and she is so good at expressing her feelings, her emotions, without muttering a word. And uh, after last week's episode. Uh, this scene, again, was a perfect example of her remarkable talent. And uh, I loved how the intimate feeling of that scene uh, contrasted with the noisy London um, atmosphere in the back. Okay, least favorite scene. <laughs> I mean, nobody's going to su be surprised when I say it's Drake 
crying. It just made me laugh. It still oh. makes me laugh. It'll never stop making me Drake and I'll catch oh a break God. with Rita. <laughs> no, God. She's just she, heartless woman. Oh. Heartless. <laughs> um, no, you're not. Um, I just had desked my myself and flailed my hands at the desktop you know it was like why the hell couldn't you have reached this point before you know she has told you to get lost on a couple of occasions now (laughs) uh prior to this and now all of a sudden it's finally sinking in is it because she is technically free even though um probably has another year of mourning to go through but Damn, dude. Uh, my least favorite scene was the one with Ross and Elizabeth uh, sitting down, enjoying some port and chatting like old pals. Because, no! Uh, my least favorite scene was Drake dumping Rosina for obvious reasons. You just don't do that. Alright, so how many tricorns would you give this episode out of five? There's a part of me that would give it a 3.5, mainly because of the uh, fantastic performances uh, that we got from Aiden, um, uh, oh, Gabriella, and uh, Christopher, and Elise. And, I mean, there were, there were fantastic performances this week. Um, but I'm really kind of meh on the entire episode. And since we're using a Likert scale kind of tricorn thing, um, I'll set it at three for neutral. But... Thank you for the Romelza moments. Seriously, we have needed them so freaking badly. Uh, And that was really just (sighs) a balm to the heart. Uh, For me, I think a middle of the road episode deserves a 2.5. So not because there was anything overly wrong with it, just because it was a whole lot of meh. And also Drake. Oh. Uh, I would give three tricorns to this episode. Uh, I thought the London scenes were enjoyable. I loved all the Caroline Ross and Demelza Dwight scenes. And uh, that Romelza sweet scene that was so overdue. Um, I loved it. Uh, But there was too much drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Drinks. Oh my god, that's a great word. (laughs) So that's the title of the episode. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Just want to say, every week we put up a Twitter poll to see what you guys rate the episode. And this week we have by far the lowest number of 5 out of 5 ratings. It's usually above like 75. The average is honestly in the 90% 5 out of 5 ratings. But this week's episode, it plummeted to only 50%. A lot of people were giving it fours and three tricorns. So Ooh. I think generally people saw it as a weaker episode. Mm-hmm. And we even have uh, 8% that are giving it two. So, <gasps> damn. Better the step it up, that rides with me. It's <laughs> going to take over the world. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I forgot about this for, I think it was last week's episode. So I did go in and... and put my my hat (laughs) in the ring (laughs) so now uh critics corner um well that was what we had to say about the episode 
Uh, what did the nation's TV critics have to say about the dang thing? Let's find out in our Critics Corner feature. We will begin with our longtime fave, Louisa Meller of Den of Geeks Review. Quote, Dancing shoes the ready Podark fans because there's a new grave in town. Yes. <laughs> Cartoon comedy rapist Reverend Osborne Whitworth has worn his last lemon waistcoat and uttered his last vomit-worthy, quote, conjugal duties. <gasps> Ding dong, the reverend's dead. The wicked reverend is dead. Yes! Not that I'm, <laughs> not that I'm one to gloat. It was no weddings and a funeral in episode five, <laughs> which... Thanks to a spooked horse and a candlestick wielding cuckold, saw the good reverend come to a painful end. <laughs> Not painful enough, perhaps, had Debbie Horsfield seen fit to fill the entire hour with Ozzy being dragged along the forest floor, screaming, head bumping against the ground like a Buzz Lightyear toy trapped in the door of a moving forward focus. The BAFTA campaign would start here. <laughs> Oh my god, that is just brilliant. Uh, the Telegraph's Michael Hogan uh, gives the episode three stars and said, When Whitworth was played by Christopher Biggins in the 70s, he was dubbed the most hated man on television. Brassington has filled his predecessor's sizable breeches with aplomb, putting on two stone for the part and bringing the old... Oh. Oligenus? Oligenus. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to look that word up because that is an awesome word. Uh, rich in, covered with, or producing oil. <laughs> ah! Yeah, because we have that word in French, like we have oléagineux, which basically uh, is all like... Um... God, that is awesome. That's an awesome, <laughs> that is an awesome word. Um, anyhow, brought this character to vivid life. Um, Ozzy won't be missed, but Brassington will. In Westminster, the efforts of Ross Poldark to help the starving poor caught the attention of the Prime Minister. Pitt the younger, meet Poldark the moodier. <laughs> <laughs> Splitting the action between Cornwall and London has caused the drama to sag, with back-and-forth journeys and lovelorn letters becoming repetitive. The parting of two key couples, Ross and Demelza, Caroline and Dwight Ennis, has lent a melancholy tinge and a mood of foreboding. Dr. Dwight would countless prescribe Cornish air, not just for the characters, but to rejuvenate the series as a whole. And lastly, back to The Guardian, where Viv Groskop said, quote, Cindy Dahl's embrace of London society seems appropriately half-hearted, half even though her hair seems to have expended almost as much as her hat collection, as if to compensate. <laughs> Although maybe I'm in denial and she's secretly enjoying hanging out with sinister frilly blouse men, of whom more soon we sense. Ross? <laughs> Ross, on the other hand, is distinctly fervent about his new life and his newfound understanding of economics. Never has a man been so passionate about a means-tested sliding scale of supplements. <laughs> I have to take my tricorn off to screenwriter Debbie Horsfield, who always keeps things rattling along and just about manages to keep us up to speed with the cast of thousands. Blink and you miss a plot development. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. 
But halfway through the series, and things are getting distinctly darker as the feud between Ross and Evil George looks set to explode again. Meanwhile, I don't know if my blood pressure can cope with the prospect of Dr. Ennis and Demelza falling in love <laughs> whilst Cindy Bell and Ross get together, a prospect which was hinted at more than once here. <laughs> I love it! <laughs> Oh my gosh! Well, you yeah, know, one brilliant. of the <laughs> one of the things that um, that we had uh, Viv Groskop mention here, when she said, "Blink and you miss a plot development." Uh, that is going to wind up being a really tricky situation for the uh, folks here in the states when um, PBS and Masterpiece get their hands on this, you know, because they have to cut. um, uh, I think they have to cut like maybe nine minutes. May I suggest the Drake Um, (laughs) storyline? Well, they can't do that because they basically eliminated the whole uh, Emma situation. Um, they're gonna be the, like who's this bitch who so, is she exactly so my guess is they'll probably wind up doing the same thing to take care of of that uh, but uh, yeah it's this is gonna create some real challenges uh, for them when it comes time to deal with this uh, here in the states so I am going to strongly encourage all of the Poldark fans in the states to do whatever you can to watch the original uh, UK release when uh, they're when all it like they out. don't cut the DVDs, do they? No, the DVDs are the originals. So uh, yeah, if you get the DVDs, then you will have one hundred percent of the series. Um. Anyway, it's time to move on to messages again. Thanks for joining us for the banter on last week's live tweet of the episode. We will be back next Sunday to scream, Oh my God, what are you doing? (laughs) So join us. It's a great way to relieve Poldark-related rage. Yes. So let's so start. what have we got on Instagram? Yes, Instagram. So while Annalie said melodramatic, Miss Burns Regrets <laughs> said, I feel terrible for Moena. Life just never seems to get better for her. Uh, Joy Powell 98 said, loving this series, Elizabeth using her womanly wiles <laughs> laugh emoji. Oh. Loba Mama said, so much I wanted to go in and fix myself, but alas, I can't do much but pout. And there were some good moments, like a certain someone's untimely death. And thankfully, there was no Ennis Poldark spouse swapping, as the previews tried to make it seem. <laughs> they really did. Phew. <laughs> I might have given the show up otherwise. <laughs> oh gosh uh, well meanwhile on Tumblr Susie BG love that name uh, said while I thought episode 5 was very good I just caught a major gaffe regarding Julia's headstone she did not die January 1788 I can overlook it due to the scene between Ross and Caroline where he show- where he shares with her holding Julia when she died loved the setting of that scene Outside the room, the noise and distractions of London. Inside the room, only the two of them sharing a moment so emotional and private. Yes, one must weep. Uh, Meanwhile, Catherine Jane Wade, a fabulous screen name, by the way. um, This episode certainly had its flaws. 
the 180s of Elizabeth and Demelz's characterization, uh, Elizabeth suddenly growing a conscience again, and Demelz's new support of Drake and Morwenna, that continued dragging out of George's hatred of Ross, oh my god, and especially that choppy, distracting editing. But despite that, I thought that the balance between London and Cornwall stories was excellent, and the scenes of Ross and Caroline talking about their daughters was heartbreaking perfection. Uh, we've got some emails. So the first one from Lobamama said, Heavy-handed isn't even the word. Good thing that Jolly <laughs> Barf Cleaner spoke about how grateful he was to scrape rich kid vomit off the floor so he wouldn't starve, or Ross might have never gone to the poorhouse, and then where would we be? How else could we possibly like Ross without the social justice warrior storyline being yelled into our faces? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Seems Debbie really cannot fathom an audience who could stomach a woman, Morwenna, who is nuanced or say mildly indifferent to her son. I'm sure it would never, it would be way over the average person's head to fathom the possibility of someone not being head over heels with their child when they're a product of rape and when their father is a rapist and pig. She definitely needed that feigning spell to scream at the audience that Morwenna, a very loving, but oh, so very put upon a one-dimensional martyr. What a shame she's afraid to attempt complicated characters. And wow, Elizabeth sure earned her PhD in gaslighting. Yes, please. <laughs> I mean, round of applause for that. That was amazing. Oh my God, that was yeah. a fantastic email. Yes. Preach it, I'm girl. I'm really, really quite annoyed at this complete change of when i'm suddenly being like i love my child let me stroke his uh, head in yeah jeans. yeah um uh you know the the whole um the whole thing where you know when she has the confrontation with drake and she says i'm tainted um it didn't carry the emotional weight that it could have if we had seen her character development more towards the way they had it in the book where you know she is basically disconnecting from everyone you know her thoughts about uh john conan she was freaking dead serious when she told ozzy she would kill their son if he touched her again it wasn't done out of uh protection for the child or anything um, you know, she was being really, really serious. Her involvement with the child in the books was um, kind of negligible. Really? Yeah, I mean, you know, they probably brought him to her uh, to be fed. But, you know, once he started eating uh, solid foods, I'm guessing she didn't have anything to do with him. Um, and so, you know, she is disconnecting from everybody so by the time they get to that confrontation in the books she means it when she says that she is tainted um and she legitimately feels that way well okay not legitimately but you know what i mean i mean she this is what she truly believes about herself and uh, not going to say anything more because hashtag no spoilers for Delanda. Uh, but uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how this thing spins out. 
I mean, no offence to Debbie Horsfield, but what does it say about her politics that she thinks a woman that doesn't want to be a mother isn't likable as a character? And uh, a mother, you know, and granted, you know, there are plenty of women out there who uh, are capable of having a loving relationship with a child that uh, has come from uh, such a, a horrible situation as rape. Um, you know, not saying anything about that being, you know, impossible to grasp, but it is also possible for women to have the exact opposite response and it doesn't mean that they aren't wonderful people exactly i think the the problem is that it's been changed yeah and the reasoning behind it bothers me yes anyway lauren contacted us and said can someone please explain why jeremy and clowance look like orphaned beggar children in the scene <laughs> where they say goodbye to their dad as he leaves london i had to watch the clip a couple of times at first i wasn't sure who they were <laughs> 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 while prudy's domestic skills are suspect at best you'd think demelza would tell her to wash their faces or comb their hair put some clean clothes on them. They look like they had more crawlers in them than Garrick when he first came to Nampara. <laughs> they did look like a rather motley crew, didn't they? I will not take the slight upon Garrick's... He, he, he did not have any crawlers. Garrick, <laughs> you are beautiful. Oh. Uh, that's one thing I've noticed. We've been getting more Garrick this season, which I love. I love seeing him at picnics and with the family and all that stuff. But oh, anyway. oh, and then the letter, Demelza was like, and your dog misses you. <laughs> yes. Like, oh. <laughs> okay, absolutely addicted Poldarki wrote a rather lengthy email, which was all great. Uh, we'll only read a few of the highlights. Uh, Ross, or Elizabeth and Ross in London. Seriously? All I can say is hashtag not in the books. This friendship between them is ridiculous. Nice to see Lizzie is still the liar she always was. <laughs> Lying to George about Ross's visit to trend with. Thanks, Monk. And then to actually appear in Ross's private quarters after Jeffrey Charles's gambling drinking trouble. Um, another bone of contention. Ross is not GC's uncle. He is his second cousin. Yes, this <laughs> bothered me immensely. My inner Catholic with hundreds of cousins was super annoyed. Not acceptable. Um, and then the two of them uh, colluding to keep Ross's assistance uh, from not only Jeffrey Charles, but of course, George, too. And by the way, wasn't it Elizabeth who mentioned to George at Caroline's party how upsetting to Demelza it would be to see Ross and Caroline being so close? Well, I'm sure Demelza would be thrilled to know how uh, to know Elizabeth and Ross are still in touch with one another and that she's visiting him unescorted at his private quarters. What saved me from the above aggravation was the Romelza re reunion near the end of the episode. The intertwined fingers scene was beautiful. I loved it. Thank you, God! Their reunion ended too quickly, though, as Ross had to return to London. So Ross rode for days to Cornwall for a quick shag, and then it's back to Parliament! Yeah, the book made a big deal about how it was a two-week journey to London. So you're telling me Ross spent a month? Traveling for 24 hours at home. Well, okay, we, we, we need to note that Poldark time was probably in effect 
not only for the, the <laughs> travel time, but also for the length of time Ross was at home. So it's kind of like the TARDIS, like yes! it just bends time and space when you go into yes. it, kind of like yes. this show. Bendy, wendy, timey, wimey, you know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, she goes on to say uh, she didn't mind the smack over the hairy brother's head by Prudy. Now, this wasn't in the book, but it made me chuckle. Yes! Uh, when Demelza and Sam are overlooking the smithy fire, to have Sam say, all that can be done is pray. Hate that this is the only value this character has been given, as a praying religious man only. I was trying not to laugh at Drake's despair after visiting Marwenna. <laughs> See, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. <laughs> Uh, Pouty George, there's so much more to this character. It's unfor unfortunate he's being written as a pouty, insecure brat whose only goal in life is to make Poldark miserable and pay, 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 which is wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> and finally, when Morwenna finally threw that stupid bracelet in the sea, yay! <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, we actually did have a couple of comments on fa on Facebook on the <gasps> Poldark Podcast uh, Facebook page. So for those of you out there, we are on Facebook. Please come and join us in the conversation. Um, we had a comment from Donna who said, I thought it was wonderful and went by way too fast. So glad Ozzy finally met his match and is out of the picture so Marwenna can now heal both physically and mentally after his horrible abuse towards her. And Katie said... I thought it was a great episode. It really showed the contrast of London to Cornwall. They did a great job with Mor Drake Morwenna's story. I felt very bad for, for Rosina. The video cut out right at the end when Demelza comes home to find Ross home. Oh, that is too bad. Um, feeling very, really sorry for Dwight with Caroline flitting about London, seeming heartless, which she isn't. Uh, George and Elizabeth really could not be more annoying. Yes! <laughs> yes! Uh, so thank you very much for your comments, and uh, we'll be back with uh, more next week. Okay, now it's time to watch the trailer for 406. My brother did wish for no trouble. I doubt George would approve of my visit. It is you I'm keen to protect, George, from your own imaginings. I will have you expelled from Parliament! <laughs> Morwen is dead to me. Oblivion. Can you supply that? Good gracious, Mrs. Morrison. Dwight, help her. My carriage, call for my carriage. <gasps> <gasps> Sam convinces Drake to return from exile following his abandonment of Rosina, and Nathaniel Pierce's death reveals how he embezzled Pasco's clients' funds. Ross finds Jeffrey Charles led astray by Monk Adderley and steers his nephew from trouble while Drake returns to the village with Sam, who threatens retribution on any who attack his brother. Dun, dun, dun. So, what are you most looking forward to in next week's episode? Uh, the cluster flarb that will come out of the embezzlement reveal. Uh, remember, the Poldarks were spending all of their savings to support their miners, which, you know, while they pump out Wheel Grace. So, shit is about to get real. Um... I'm not looking forward to the whole Monk, Jeffrey Charles situation for reasons that will be discussed on a later episode. 
Hashtag no spoilers for Delonda. Thank you. Yes. I'm looking forward to Sam Karn because we need more Tom York, even if it's yes. not to serve his own storyline. We'll take yes, as yes, well yes. as we can. It never is. <laughs> okay. One final dig. Sam, just tell Drake to run away forever and take his screen time, please. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, gosh. Well, we've reached the end of the show, but we'll be back next week recapping and discussing 406. If you want to get involved, then follow us at Poldark Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Message us on our Tumblr or email us at poldarkpodcast at gmail.com. And you can be read out on the podcast. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.